0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided tongues as a fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language?
1: Thank you, Nora. Good morning. I remember well the birth of really all four of our children, but maybe especially the birth of our firstborn, Josh, who just led us in prayer. It was three weeks after the due date, and we awoke in the middle of the night, headed to the emergency room, and because Jeannie was not yet in labor, they induced her, and some 30 hours later... Of labor, his heart rate dropped, and so they whisked her out to have an emergency C section. And within, within about five minutes, I was holding our newborn son. Birth stories are pretty wonderful, and we think about those because they end up in, in a new life, in a new birth. And every one of you has a birth story, otherwise you would not be sitting here physically, and you also have a birth story spiritually. When Joshua was born as our firstborn, though we'd been told a lot of things, we had no idea how much this new baby would change our lives. (laughs) It's true of all of us, isn't it? We just can't grasp how that will change our life forever. Goodbye, quiet evenings to yourself. (laughs) Hello, diapers and school events and lots of time in the car and lots of worry and time on your knees and prayer and on and on. Well, today in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we come to a birth story. The story of the birth of the church. You see, there was no church of Jesus Christ until the Spirit was poured out on the disciples on that Pentecost nearly 2,000 years ago. And like when we have a baby and it changes our lives, the world was changed forever on that day of Pentecost. When When a baby is born, you start looking at the characteristics, right? You know, eyes... Nose, mouth, fingers, toes, is this like mom, is this like dad or grandpa or whatever? You look closely at those characteristics. Well, this morning what we want to do is just highlight some of the characteristics that Luke and God through Luke reveals to us about the early church. Because if you understand what the early church was designed to be from the the very beginning, it will help us to be who God wants us to be as the Church of Jesus Christ today. So let's pray and we'll look at this passage together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this new creation, the church, this messy entity that you have chosen to plant your very life in through the Holy Spirit to impact and influence the world forever. And Lord, It's clear as we look at this passage that the world was changed forever because of this new birth that happened on Pentecost. Lord, as we look at this together, may our hearts be open to hear from you what you are calling us to individually and as a community as we follow you as your new creation, the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Nora just read, it begins... This way in chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So the question is, what is this uh, Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was the Jewish holiday. It was called Pentecost because Pentecost means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover feast. It was one of the three main feasts of Israel. It was sometimes called the Feast of Weeks because you counted those seven weeks after the Passover. But it was primarily a harvest festival, a celebration of God's gracious care and love and provision for his people, the people of Israel, through the harvest. As They began to begin the harvest. That's usually when they celebrated it. So they would celebrate this wonderful, wonderful time of God's provision. But in Jesus' day, that, that Pentecost feast had morphed a little bit. It was still a celebration of God's provision in the harvest, but it had become a celebration also of the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. It was given on that day in Mount Sinai, and when that happened, Moses went up on the mountain and received the law. God created a new community at that point that was led by, by what he brought down from God, from the mount, this new community, this nation of Israel. This was now the people of God. And so as they're gathered together at this time, they're gathered in the upper room, that they're celebrating around them, the community is celebrating these things. God's provision, his gift through the harvest, God's provision... His gift of creating them as the nation of God, the nation of Israel. So they get together, these disciples, and it says they were all waiting in the upper room. They were obeying Jesus. Jesus had said back in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised Which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Jesus ascended, and it said he walked with them 40 days. So 10 days later, as they're gathered together, they're waiting upon the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I found that to be a common occurrence in the Christian life. When you're following God, you spend a lot of time waiting on him waiting for him to move, waiting for him to act. That's part of our calling as Christians. So as they're waiting, suddenly, suddenly all heaven breaks loose says in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And we see later in the passage what they were saying. They were speaking the mighty acts, the mighty deeds of God. Suddenly, all heaven truly had broken loose. There was this loud sound. Now, we have a lot of loud noises because we have machines and airplanes and all, but I, they didn't have all of that. And so I think this was incredibly earth-shattering when they heard a noise. I, I liken it maybe to the sound of a jet engine. There was this loudness in the room, but as we see later, the whole community, the whole area, the whole temple area... In Jerusalem heard this loud noise and it was earth shaking and there was fire these tongues of fire coming down and then there were words from God as they spoke in these different tongues this was a wild supernatural event God reaching down and making himself known now think with me for a minute Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai What happened on Mount Sinai? Well, there was clouds and there was wind and there was fire and there were words from God. And God created a whole new community, a nation that he said, these are the people of God, the nation of Israel. God worked through Gentiles, some in the Old Testament, but primarily he was working through the Jews, the nation of Israel, this one people. Now... With Pentecost, God gives those same manifestations, loud noise, fire, and words from God. Why this parallel? Well, because he's creating a whole new community now. Up to this point, he'd been working through a nation, one nation of Israel. But now he says, I'm creating a whole new society of Jews and Gentiles who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have the Spirit in them. God sends a new manifestation of his moving among men with wind and fire and words from God. He says, I'm creating something new, a new community here. I'm birthing something new. And it will be very different from the old people of God, how he worked before. And in this passage, throughout this birth story that Luke gives us, he emphasizes over and over again the radical nature of this new event. Notice verse 6 and 7, when it talks about people's reactions, says they were amazed and astonished. They were stunned saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language? Verse 12, And they were all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? Then when Peter begins his speech, that we'll look at beginning this week, but we'll most, spend most of the time next week, notice what he says about this in verses 19 and 20. As he quotes the book of Joel, he says this, describing what's happening with Pentecost. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now, All these verses are emphasizing Luke saying this is an earth-shaking event. The quote from Joel is sometimes taken by people to say, well, this really wasn't about Pentecost. This is really, it's a future thing. It's when Jesus returns because this is too big a deal. (laughs) But I think Peter is applying it directly to Pentecost to say how incredibly earth-shaking this was. The commentator N.T. Wright puts it this way, mention of blood and fire and clouds of smoke and of the sun being turned into darkness and the moon into blood could refer to a great eclipse or other natural phenomena. But those who were used to the language of biblical prophecy knew well enough that these were regular ways of referring to what would be called earth-shattering events, things in society and global politics that would shake the foundation of what we call the fabric of society. Part of the point of the last days, as Peter says that this is, was that they were the time of new creation. And the new creation would start with God's own people. Luke is going out of his way to say, Hey, what happened at Pentecost? I want you to understand this was absolutely life-changing. This changed society forever. This is a great and magnificent day. Man's relationship with God was changed forever. Why? Because this new community, the church, was birthed at that point. So let's look more closely at that birth. What are some of the characteristics? Like you look at a new baby and want to see what the eyes and the nose and the ears and the fingers and toes are like, Let's look at this new church and learn some things about it. What are the characteristics of this new birth? I just want to highlight four. We could look at more. But the first is that the Spirit is poured out on all who believe. The Spirit is poured out on all who believe. Now, some today think that you need to receive Jesus and then at a later time... Receive the Holy Spirit. That's a separate event. But I think Scripture teaches clearly that when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you receive the Spirit immediately at that point. We'll see that next week very clearly. Because that is the new birth. It's Jesus's life placed in you. When you receive Jesus when as Lord and Savior, Jesus indwells you, and he begins to take up residence in you and begins to to remodel you from the inside out. <laughs> now, this is an earth-shaking event, brothers and sisters, because think about how the Old Testament demonstrates the Spirit's working. The Spirit did come along, come upon people, King Saul, King David, some of the prophets, some of the priests, but it was always, it seemed, as a unique event and empowering for a specific purpose. And only a few people received the Spirit, certainly not most people, certainly not common people. And of course, in the Old Testament, only the priests had direct access to God. So they lived in a world where to have the Spirit was incredibly rare. But at Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out on everyone equally. Everyone equally. So, for example, as he talks about it in verses 17 and 18, he's quoting Joel again. And he says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then in verse 21, it says this, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice that the gospel is poured out on all who believe Peter quotes Joel to explain that what just happened and what they're seeing as all the disciples gathered in the room received the spirit and God's plan was to place his life his spirit in everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord there's no restrictions of age no restrictions of gender or social status or anything else and you need to understand how this was a complete reversal of the current culture at the time. It was a stratified society and only important people received things like the Spirit. What does this mean that all receive the Spirit? Well, certainly one implication is that I may be a pastor with a certain calling to serve Cole Community Church, but you have exactly the same Spirit in you that I do, if you know Jesus. You have the same power. You have the same direct access to God himself. This is a radical change, brothers and sisters, in what the world was like before that. And remember, the Feast of Pentecost is a celebration of God's provision, both of the harvest and of creating this new community, speaking to us and helping us have what we need to live to Israel. So Pentecost is a celebration of God's provision of his very life in us to depend on. It's an amazing new revelation that Peter is giving us. Paul describes it in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians where he says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Nothing from us. But our adequacy is from God, everything from him, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, a new community, a new arrangement for living, not of the letter, but of the spirit, but for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You see, the old way, the letter, the law, is I got to do the right thing, and you try to follow the rules. But the new arrangement, this new community, is the Spirit of God's placed in us and we learn to walk with Him and walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and depend on Him and His life in us. And that's true for everyone who has the Spirit. So often in counseling, someone will come to me and they'll want me to give them answers. But one thing I like to do fairly often is say, you know what? Um, You have the same Spirit in you that I do. And I believe if you seek him, he will make clear to you what you need to do, what he's calling you to, what the answer to your dilemma is. You just need to depend on him. So let's pray together that he'll reveal himself through you, through the Holy Spirit in you. You see how amazing that is? You don't have to go to the experts so much anymore. I mean, there are gifted people that can encourage you, but I just want to encourage you that you have God's power, his spirit in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's something radically new in the universe. Second characteristic of this new birth is that the church exists for the whole world, for the whole world. Again, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai created a distinct nation, the nation of Israel, That God chose to work through, and yes, they were supposed to be a blessing to the whole world, but He was working primarily through that one nation. But what Pentecost did when God poured out His Spirit is He revealed very clearly that He wants to work through all people, to cross all national boundaries, to reach all people for the gospel, with the gospel we've already seen is how they heard the gospel in different tongues. And notice verse 7. Aren't these all people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Notice it it mentions all the major areas essentially of the whole Roman Empire. And these people are there and interestingly enough, they're hearing the mighty deeds of God in their own, not just their own language, but their own dialects, it says. Now, Greek was the common language of the whole Roman Empire, so all these people would have known Greek. God could have communicated and just spoken, had them speak in Greek, right? So why did he have them speak in every one of their own dialects? Well, because he wanted to communicate very clearly that this new community, this church thing, (laughs) this whatever it is filled with the Holy Spirit, is to be made up of people from all races, all backgrounds, all cultures. It's for everyone. Why is this so, so radical? Well, remember the story back in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel? Let me read part of that because that informs our passage here. Chapter, Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth used to, the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. They settled there. They got together and they said, Hey, we're going to become like God. Let's build a tower to heaven. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go down. And there confuse their language So that they will not understand one another's speech. You see, since that time, the Tower of Babel, languages have divided us and separated us. The world has been stratified, separated. Roman culture was clearly stratified, separated. You had the nobles, you had the wealthy, they had all the power. You had those who were Roman citizens, which were not that many that had a certain level of power. Then at the bottom, you had women, slaves, foreigners, those who don't really count. Roman culture was brutal to orphans, to women, ultimately, and to children, overall. Jewish culture was stratified as well. You had the priests, At the top, then you had Pharisees and you had good Israelites, but then at the bottom you had the poor, you had shepherds, you had foreigners. The attitude of Israel at this time was God's favor only rests on Israel and especially obedient Israel. Thank God I'm not like everybody else, as one Pharisee prayed. But when God poured out his spirit in this incredibly radical, earth-shaking event, he made very clear that the gospel's for everybody, that the gospel is truly the only one universal language that brings us all back together, not to defy God, as in the Tower of Babel, but to live under God as a new community in Christ, a place where man is absolutely equal, and all the things that separate us are gone. And one of the implications of this, I think, is it's interesting that our culture views Christianity as oppressive and as divisive, and they call us haters, right? But most all the gains for women in society— have been accomplished by Christians. And Christian-based cultures have been the most humane societies in all of history. Christians have loved the poor, rejected by others. Christians have created schools to educate those who no one thought were worth educating. Christians have cared for the orphans when they were left to die. Christians have loved widows who were destitute. Most all hospitals were started by Christians. And on and on and on. You see, the Church of Jesus Christ, which was birthed at Pentecost, has been and continues to be the most powerful force for good in all of society. The world tries to tell us something different, but let me say that again. The Church of Jesus Christ has been and continues to be the most powerful force for good. In all of society. So, brothers and sisters, let's not forget the power of our influence in the world, not because of us, not because we're adequate, but because we have the very life of Jesus in us to depend on, to do good for the kingdom of God. I, I need to just take a moment for a little aside, because I know when you come to this passage, it comes up almost every time, and that's the question of tongues. All these disciples spoke in known languages of the day, very clearly. Well, then you jump ahead to 1 Corinthians 12, and the gift of tongues is talked about as a spiritual gift for edifying the body in 1 Corinthians 12. Are those the same things? Well, there's a lot of controversy about that. But let me say this. There is no evidence in the Scriptures that all Christians are supposed to speak in tongues either when they receive Jesus or at some later point. There's just no evidence for that. And in fact, when it talks about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 spends the chapter trying to correct all the problems that were coming from the gift of tongues because people were emphasizing it because it was a supernatural kind of thing and they were saying everybody did need to speak in tongues and it was becoming very, very divisive. So what does Paul put between chapter 12 and chapter 14? Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., Etc. Why? Because we must not let anything come between our love for one another. And in fact, the creation of the church was to create a unity with all people and nothing, tongues or anything else should ever divide us. From the very birth of the church, what God's most interested in is unity. We bond our hearts together and we learn to love one another and cross boundaries for the gospel Of Jesus Christ. So we need to do all we can, brothers and sisters, to reach across boundaries, to break down prejudices, to be a community where we welcome all kinds of people and we go out of our way to welcome people that are different from us. And you may think, well, I do that. I'm not prejudiced. I think we all have prejudices. Often we're not aware of them. You may remember this story. I've told it before, but a few years back when um, my early years at Cole, another pastor and I decided to go golfing. So we got together and we went to a golf course. And they, it was fairly crowded, so they wanted to make a foursome, so they added two other people to our group. So we had a foursome. And one of the guys there had a number of piercings, tattoos up and down his arms, his legs around his neck, baggy, baggy shorts, etc. And I remember thinking, this guy really needs the Lord. As we talked, found out he was a youth pastor (laughs) with a passion for Jesus. And as a friend told me later after I told him the story, he said, yeah, and he was looking at you probably thinking, man, this guy really needs the Lord. (laughs) What's the point? We are prejudiced and we need to break down those walls and begin to reach across those barriers to where we judge other people and we're critical of other people and repent of that because from the very birth of the church, we're meant to be a place where all, all are welcome. The third characteristic I want to point out about this new entity, the church, is that the church is always going to be misunderstood. Listen to verse 12 and following. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine. They're just drunk. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's five o'clock somewhere, right? (laughs) He's saying, hey, it's only nine in the morning. That would be the third hour. They can't have been drinking yet. But I want you to notice some people are amazed and curious because God is so evidently working in this situation. But many found ways to just dismiss the obvious hand of God right in front of their faces and say, ah, they're just drunk. That's why there's tongues of fire coming on their heads, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're just drunk even though God was clearly at work there. Brothers and sisters, that will always be the case. The church will always be misunderstood. The early church was called cannibals by the secular world around them because at communion they talked about eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. Many Muslims today think that the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Mary. That's what we teach because they've been taught that and will always be misunderstood, Will will always be mocked. So how do we counteract the mockings and accusations? Well, Peter himself, who is in this story, I think tells us pretty succinctly in First Peter chapter 2, where he tells us how to respond to such a situation. Verse 12, he says this, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, you're just judgmental, you're a bunch of haters. When they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Love them. Do whichever good you can. Plant seeds of love and don't defend yourself. And then the final characteristic I just want to touch on is that the entrance to the church is simply by calling on Jesus, verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no other requirement, simply calling on the name of the Lord. And then the Spirit comes in and you are born again. You have a new birth and you're part of this new community that God birthed at Pentecost. Just call on Him for salvation. Call on Him to rescue You from yourself (laughs) as a broken person and from this world as a broken world, and he will do it, and he'll enter into your life and begin remodeling from the inside out, tearing down the junk, cleaning out the closets, making something new where the Spirit of God can be visible in us. The birth of each one of our kids was radically life-changing for us. (laughs) But the birth of the church was arguably the most important and world-changing event that ever happened in history next to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It created a whole new society this thing called the church. And it broke down the dividing walls between all people that had been there ever since the the Tower of Babel days. And it made Jesus' life accessible to anyone who's willing to just call on him. So brothers and sisters, may you and I learn to be filled with the Spirit and live out our unity in Christ with all believers so that Jesus can be clearly seen in the world today. Let's pray. Lord, how amazing it is. This event we've talked about, this Pentecost, where you poured out your spirit and you changed the world forever. And Lord, we are here right now because we've been birthed into this new community by faith. Lord, may we be people who live that out, who live out the kind of church you want us to be, that reaches across boundaries, that welcomes all people, that lives in the power of the Spirit and loves those around us in your strength, in your life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.